Praise the Lord, everybody. This is Apostle, and we're welcoming you to our Thursday night broadcast. And we're really looking forward to getting back into the Word of God again today as we're teaching on the doctrine of hell. What does the Bible say about hell? What is the will of God concerning hell? And so God has been giving us revelation and insight into hell and what the Word says about it. And today we're going to go deeper into this. And I'm telling you, today you're going to see what Jesus really thinks about hell and what he, how he deals with people who refuse to accept him as their master and their Lord. And I want you to understand, as, as I've been meditating and studying this, it just really, it, it hit me how strongly Jesus feels about this. And so I want you to understand, as we get into this revelation concerning the doctrine of hell, open your mind and see why Jesus is so passionate about this because he does not want anyone going to hell. He went there and he suffered the penalty of sin. He became sin. He burned in hell for three days and three nights. He gave his life for you and I. He was resurrected from the dead to break sin's power over our lives. And therefore now, if we would just accept his sacrifice, then we would not be in a position to go to hell, but we would have everlasting life with him. This is what he died for. This is why he gave himself up for this, so that all of us could have a chance at eternal life. Now, those that don't receive Jesus and don't accept Jesus, you're taking the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and you're throwing it in his face and telling him, I don't care what you went through. I don't care what suffering you went through. My life is more important to me the way I live it, not the way you want me to live it. And there is a price. There is a penalty and there is judgment for those that refuse to accept Jesus as their Lord and their master. So we're going to get into the word of God again today, and we're going to see how Jesus deals with these circumstances and situation concerning hell. And so we're going to see now how Jesus judges mankind from his throne. Here, a verse of scripture that we're going to be taking you to is very powerful. And I'm telling you, it's very insightful as we see how Jesus judges mankind from his throne. We're going to take you to the book of Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to be reading from verse 31 through verse 46. Let's see how the scripture says and, and, and depicts this scenario. It says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. I want you to understand this. Before him, as he sits on his throne, shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another. As a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, I want you to see that, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, 
Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in. Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, verily, I say unto you, inasmuch as you watch this now, this is so powerful. Inasmuch as you didn't it not unto the least of these and the least of these was his brethren. You did it not to me and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so we see here as we go through the scripture that God has given us some revelation and some truth that he really wants us to understand because this is such a powerful revelation of truth. Now let's get back and let's see again and let's kind of break down what Jesus is actually doing here. It says in verse 31 again, when the son of man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Now, what we find here is that every nation, all nations are going to be gathered together in front of Jesus as he sits on his throne. You remember when the scripture said every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. The time is coming when all nations and that means every nation on the face of the earth, they shall be gathered together and they shall there be judged by Jesus as he sits on his throne. Now, notice what Jesus is going to do. He's going to separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. And those that Jesus has determined as are righteous or have accepted him as their Lord and their master, he's going to set them on his right hand. And then those in the nations that did not accept him as their Lord and master, he's going to put them on his left hand. And then when he does that, he's going to say something that is so powerful and that it is so eternal that these words that come out of his mouth are going to be magnificently powerful and there will be no one able to change what he he says now listen to what Jesus says here it says in verse 34 it says then shall the king say unto them on his right hand so he's going to say something to them on his right hand come ye blessed of my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and so all of those that have accepted Jesus shall be, watch this now, they shall sit on his right hand and they shall go into the kingdom that God has prepared for them from before the foundation of the world. See, this blessing has always been in store for those that want to follow Jesus. Now we're about to enter into it in its fullness, enter into it into its, its, its greatness, into its vastness. And this is what Jesus has for those of us who have accepted him and who are living for him and, and will not compromise him because of the pleasures of sin that are in this world. And this is what Jesus has done. And this is what he has said to those that he has blessed. He's going to bless them. But notice what the Lord says. He says, now this is something interesting here. He says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, those that are born again, watch this now, because this 
is very interesting. Remember what the Bible says when Jesus was talking about the kingdom and the Bible said, Jesus said uh, that, that many will see, uh, look for me and say uh, about the kingdom. And he say the kingdom, uh, they will say low here and low there. And Jesus will say, no, the kingdom does not come with observation, but the kingdom of God is within you. And so when you get born again, the kingdom of God comes to live inside of us. Now, this is why we are alive. But notice what Jesus says here. See, we have the kingdom in us. The Holy Spirit is in us in our physical mortal bodies. The Holy Spirit lives and resides in you. And the kingdom of God, the authority of God is inside of you. But now notice something that Jesus says, because this is very powerful, because because the kingdom of God is in us. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter three, it says that uh, now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we may ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Now, this is why we're alive in these mortal bodies. That's the kingdom of God in operation through us by the power that works in us or the Holy Spirit working the power of the kingdom of God through us. And how effective is this kingdom? The Bible says that the kingdom God will do exceeding supernaturally abundantly over and above all that you may ask or think. So he will do greater than what we could even think he can do. And that's with the kingdom of God on the inside of us while we're still in this mortal body. Now think about this as I take you back to the scripture and see what Jesus says here, because something else takes place here. That's even greater than the kingdom of God in us while we're on the earth in these physical bodies. Notice what Jesus says again, into verse 34. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So now we see Jesus. Now that he's talking to those that already have the kingdom in them. They've been operating in the kingdom, but then he says something that is even greater. He says, now come and inherit the kingdom. In other words, there is another realm of the kingdom of God that is in store for those who will be blessed of the Lord at, at his, at his great uh, throne judgment. I want you to understand this because what takes place here is now there will be when we enter into and inherit the complete total kingdom, there will be no more flesh. Our physical bodies will be turned to immortal bodies and the sin nature that dwells within us shall be removed from us forever. And therefore we will become perfect in that perfect state like Jesus is. And so what takes place now is now we will have the full access of the kingdom. My goodness, how great can that be when the kingdom that is already in us, even with our sin nature and God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power of the kingdom that works in us. If he can do that and, and that's in our natural mortal bodies, what in the world is he offering us when we enter into and inherit the kingdom, when we become glorified and when our sin nature is removed from us so that we are just like Jesus, no sin in us. Remember when Jesus said, I go but the prince of this world hath nothing in me. We're going to be able to say that as well, that there is no sin nature in me. There's no flesh in me. I am immortal. I am supernatural. I am as he is. So am I. And this is what God wants us to understand. So I want you to understand this now that the kingdom of God is resident in you now. But when Jesus comes to judge the nations of the world, you're going to inherit the kingdom in a completely greater realm than what you have now. Praise God. Oh my God. I can't even imagine what that is. This is powerful. Now let's take a look. Let's go now and see what Jesus says here in verse. Watch this now. Uh, because this is powerful. Verse 35, for when 
I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer and say, answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer, listen to what the Bible says, and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, I want you to get that, my brethren, you have done it unto me. I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. See, because the even the saints said, Lord, we never saw you in prison and 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 and, and we, you were never sick and, and hungry. And, and all of that. Uh, uh, how, how did we do that to you? And then Jesus says, when you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren. In other words, what Jesus was doing, he was showing us the identification that Jesus has with those who have given their lives to him. We have become one with him. We'll talk about that later on in the teaching as we get to the prayer that Jesus prays over the church. But I want you to understand something. Every human that has accepted Jesus as their Lord and master, they become one with him and Jesus identifies with them. You remember the story of the conversion of Paul, the apostle Paul, and how he was persecuting the church and he was an apostle yet, but he was, he was a Pharisee and he was, he was very, he was very vigilant in, in, in occupying and operating in his Pharisaic functions. And so he was persecuting the church and he was on his way to Damascus to go and haul some more Christians into prison. He held the coat of them that stoned Stephen to death. I want you to understand Paul, I mean, Saul at that time was persecuting the church. So now as he's on his way to Damascus, you remember the story and how God, uh, lightning came from heaven and struck him and knocked him off of his, 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 his donkey, his ride, and he became blind. And then Jesus said something to him that was very powerful. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, Saul had not persecuted Jesus personally, but he had been persecuting the church. Jesus identifies with Christians. When you are a Christian, you are his, one of his brethren. You are his body, the body of Christ. You are his, and therefore he identifies with you. So when Saul was persecuting the Christians, in essence, he was persecuting Jesus because we and Jesus are one. So Whatever you do to Jesus, you're doing to us. And whatever you do to us, you're doing it to Jesus. I want you to get that revelation there because Jesus said, if they have, if you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, if you are ministering to Christians, those that are born again, and you're being a blessing to them and you're helping them, then you are going to receive a blessing from the Lord. But I want you to understand something because we are saved and we are, are filled with the love of God, not only will we be a blessing to those that are of the household of faith, but we will take that ministry of reconciliation, that blessing, and give it to those that are not of the household of faith and try to win them into the kingdom of God through the loving kindness of God. See, when you are a true son and a true daughter of God, you want to see the Christians make it into heaven, but you also want to see the world go and make it into heaven. And so we have a longing and a desire to win the loss to Christ. That was, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Because you see, there's judgment that's going to take place of all nations that don't accept Jesus. We're going to get back into this now and see what happens to those that don't accept Jesus. Now watch this. Take a look at this as we enter into verse 41. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Do you see that? Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil 
and his angels. Do you see that? Now, look at that now. Listen to what he says. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. First of all, Jesus is, now it doesn't sound like the lamb, that little sweet lamb that's got a, you, you know, a little baby holding a little lamb under his arm, flying around like, like little wings. No, that's not the Jesus there. This is the Jesus, the Jesus, the resurrected Lord. He's the Lord and master of all the world. He is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the ruler of heavens and the earth. He is Jesus. He is the magnificent one. He's not coming back as the savior. He's coming back as the judge. Come on somebody. And he's going to judge. And so the words that come out of his mouth now are words of condemnation. There are words of punishment. There are words of, of, of vindication. And so you need to understand that when Jesus speaks now, he says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You remember when the uh, Lord, Lord people came to Jesus and said, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name done many wonderful works and in thy name cast out devils. And Jesus said, I will say to them in that day, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Jesus is speaking out of authority, but he's speaking from his kingly judgment now. He's not speaking as the savior now. He's speaking as the judge. He will judge the nations and the world. Now notice what he says. He says, depart from me. Come on somebody, because this is very important. He says now, he says, uh, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire that is prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus was saying to them that the, the, the everlasting fire, this is a fire that burns for eternity. This fire that Jesus is talking about is the lake of fire. It is the fire that shall receive hell and its fire and hell and its fire and death and the grave and every unsaved person plus their physical bodies, as well as their spirits and their souls shall all be cast into this everlasting fire called the lake of fire, and they will all burn for eternity. Now, Jesus says that that fire, that everlasting fire, the lake of fire was never prepared for man. It was prepared for the devil and his angels, but because men have sided with Satan and become one with the devil, they're going to have to accept his punishment. And therefore, they're going to have to go and burn for eternity in the lake of fire. Now, notice this. It is an everlasting fire. And I'm, I'm trying to say this to you. Those of you that may be watching this and you are not born again, you need to understand you are, you watch this now, you are mortgaging your everlasting eternal life, your eternity forever and ever on a few years here on the earth, living in sin, living apart from the will of God. Don't let these few years, 70 to 100 years, rob you of eternal life. See, what you do now while you're on the earth is going to determine your eternal destiny. And based off of how you deal with Jesus, it's going to determine where you will spend your destiny. Will you spend it in the kingdom of God and rule and reign with him? Or are you going to spend it in the lake of fire burning in hell for eternity? These few moments in the earth, the Bible calls them are as but a vapor in comparison to eternity. These 100 years that we may have to live on the earth is nothing. It is if you were to put it on a scale and a grid and try to match it up with eternity, you would not even be able to see these years. You would not be able to see time, actually, because time in comparison to eternity, if you put it on a grid and eternity is compared to time, you would not even be able to see time because time is such a small part portion of, of, of eternity that is so great that you can't even see it. So what you're doing is you're taking a few moments, a few minutes of eternity, and you are mortgaging your whole eternal life based off of some fun from sin that the devil has earmarked to kill you anyway. And this is what you're going to do. And you're going to mortgage your whole eternity based off of 
of a few moments of the pleasures of sin, which have been erected by the devil to kill you anyhow. Listen to what the Holy Ghost is saying. And so the fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty. You gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You took me not in naked and you clothed me not sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry or a thirst or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them saying, verily, I say unto you in as much. Listen to what he says in as much as you did it not unto the least of these. Come on, somebody and that. Now, remember the least of these that he was talking about when he said the least of the, the least of these, my brethren. So when you have not done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have not done it unto me either because I identify with them. And then watch what he says. This, this is so important. He says, then he says, and these in verse 46, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. The word punishment there, I want to talk to you a little bit about this word punishment because I want you to see this punishment. The first thing I want you to understand is that the punishment, I'll tell you what punishment means, but before I talk to you about what punishment means, I want you to understand that this punishment is everlasting, which means that this punishment will never end. It will go on for eternity, uh, eternity to eternity to eternity to eternity. And so this punishment will never end. It will never let up. It will never cease. It will never get lighter. It will stay tormenting. Now, the word punishment here is the word colossus, and it means punish or to punish, and it means punishment. Now, I want you to understand something. There's another word that is uh, in the Greek, too, that talks about punishment, and that is the word, watch this now, there's the word colossus, which this word is here, but then there's also another word that means uh, punishment as well. And that word or that term uh, a punishment is the word temora. Now, I want you to understand the difference between the two, because the, the, the term colossus, when it talks about punishment, it really is talking about punishment for the correction and the bettering of the offender. In other words, this punishment comes to correct the person and to better them. That's one of the meanings of the word colossus. But then the, the, there's another word, which is the word temora, and that word punishment, it talks about a different kind of correction. It talks about, and it's the pre predominating thought and the vindictive character of punishment, which satisfies the inflictor's sense of outraged justice and defense his own honor or that of his violated law. Now I'm going to talk to you and show you what God is saying here, because here is, this is what this word Colossus means here in this particular verse. It's not talking about when Jesus tells them depart into everlasting uh, punishment. He is not talking about, I'm sending you into punishment so you can get better. He's not saying that he's not trying to correct you so that you can get better so that you can get out of it. But this really has the meaning of the word Timora. And that is this punishment is the vindictive character of the punishment. And it satisfies the person who is inflicting that punishment and their sense of outraged justice by defending their own honor or their violated law. Okay. Now what am I talking about? Apostle break this down to me and let me understand when Jesus talks about everlasting punishment, what he is talking about, it is his vindictive nature that comes forth out of him. And Jesus has established his law of righteousness. And so because people who have refused to accept his law and they have refused to receive him as their master and their Lord, then that has made Jesus become very angry. And therefore, he has a vindictive sense of injustice against his moral laws that men have fallen against and come against and not obeyed and followed. And therefore, Jesus inflicts this punishment on them for his own honor.
Because Jesus has said, if you follow me, you'll have eternal life. But if you don't, then you will have eternal damnation. And so he has to honor his name. He has to honor his word and he has to honor his righteousness. And therefore, those that go against the righteousness of God, they inflict Jesus's sense of outraged anger and his outraged judgment because they dared to go against and break his law. See, that's the same thing that the devil does. When the devil, when you as a Christian are trying to serve God, and then you are not doing what the devil wants you to do because the devil has laws that he wants you to follow and you refuse to follow him, he gets angry and he gets vindictive. He gets his sense of outrage comes because you are, in, in, in essence, you're trying to be strong enough and righteous enough to not obey my laws. And so then he comes to a attack you. He comes to attack with punishment. He comes to attack with fear. He comes to attack with vindictiveness and malice and anger because he is outraged that you are bold enough to stand up against him and not bow down and worship him even though he is evil. That's how the devil does it. Well, I want you to understand Jesus's vindictiveness against those that don't follow him is far greater than that than the devil could ever inflict because when Jesus inflicts his outrage justice, when he inflicts his punishment, his condemnation, his punishment, his pain, his torment, it is everlasting to everlasting to everlasting. And you need to understand something. Even the devil's going to get this punishment from Jesus. The fallen angels, the demons, the unsaved people, the antichrist, the false prophet, and everyone that obeys Satan and has gone against God shall be recipients of God's vindictive judgment. I want you to understand something. When Jesus comes back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he's coming back with fire coming out of his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. He's coming back not as the, 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 the son of man, but he's coming back as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's coming back as the righteous ruler and he shall to rule with an iron, a rod of iron because he is Jesus. He has paid the price and because he has become sin and paid the price and burned in hell for all of us, then he has earned the right to judge anybody that will not accept him as their Lord and their master. This is what Jesus wants you to know. And this is what he wants you to understand. So you need to understand this now because they're going to go into everlasting punishment. This punishment shall be everlasting. It shall be forever and ever and ever. This is what Jesus thinks. And this is what he's going to use the lake of fire for. You need to understand uh, Jesus is sending everybody that is not of him uh, into the lake of fire. Now let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to see another revelation of how Jesus feels about hell. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help you today as we share with you the revelation and the doctrine that the Bible teaches on hell. Now let's go to the book of Matthew chapter 23, and we're in verses 25 through 33. Matthew 23, 25 through 33. Now look at what this says. It says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. These are the religious people. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Oh, the word hypocrites there. We're going to talk about that. For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup, and platter that the outside the of them may be clean also woe unto you scribes and pharisees hypocrites jesus calls them hypocrites a second time for you are like unto the whited sepulchers which indeed appear beautiful outward but within are full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness even so ye also outwardly appear righteous to men but within you are 
full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Are you hearing what Jesus is saying here? This is so powerful. He goes on to say, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's the third time he's called them hypocrites because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we watch this now had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. In other words, if we had been living during the days of our fathers in the past, we wouldn't have killed the prophets like they did. Listen to what Jesus says though in verse 31, wherefore you be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which kill the prophets. In other words, Jesus said, you're a witness unto yourself. Yes, you would have killed the prophets because you're doing the same thing. You're trying to kill me and I'm the greatest of the prophets and I'm the one that they were prophesying about. So you don't like me, you hate me, then you surely would have killed the prophets. He said, fill ye up then the measure of your father. In other words, what your father's got, you're going to get as well. He says, you serpents, you generation of vipers, how can you escape the damnation of hell? He said, how can you escape the damnation of hell? The first thing I want to talk to you about is he called these people hypocrites. Now, these were the religious leaders. And the word hypocrite is the word hypocrisis, and it means to pretend. Come on, somebody. This word really means to pretend and it is used for flattery and deception. In other words, they will say something nice and flattering, but the purpose of it is not to flatter or to be nice, but to deceive. And watch this now, because watch this now, the Bible teaches us and that we need to understand this word hypocrisis, it is a form of idolatry. Now, you might, you might not think that people who are uh, hypocrites are idolaters, but it is because it's a form of hypocrisy because it keeps people from being perfect with God. It keeps people from being wholehearted with the Lord. Why? Because the idolater or the hypocrite is one that is trying to deceive people into thinking that they can do what God requires without actually doing what God requires. And so this is a form of idolatry and it is hypocrisy. All false prophecy is hypocrisy because they're saying something that God did not say, but they're saying that it was true. And so then the hypocrites deceive the people that are listening to them through their false prophecy, but they also deceive their own selves into believing. Remember, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And Jesus said, and I shall say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were never saved. You were never born again. And so they will use they will use false prophecy is in, in a hypocritical manner. Remember now we're talking about hypocrisy here. Jesus, he comes against it three times. We talk about the religious hypocrites that were living in the days of Jesus and they wore their long robes and they, they wanted to be reverence by the public and they wanted to have honor because of their long robes and their religious sayings, but they cloaked themselves with wickedness and evil and long prayers. I'm, I'm here to tell you what they were doing. Jesus, remember what Jesus said to them? He said to them, here you are, you clean the outside of the cup and you clean the outside of the platter, but inside where the real deal is, 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 is full of dead men's bones. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you're a hypocrite. You fix yourself out on the outside and you try to present yourself as being holy, religious. You, you present yourself as being righteous with your long flowing robes and your, your long hats and your, your miters and all of that. Come on. And, and and your staffs and your rings that you want people to bow down and kiss and all of this stuff. And so you're appearing, but inside you want that worship yourself. See inside, see outside you're saying, oh, we worship God. Oh, we reverence God. Oh, we are representing God. But inwardly in your evil, wicked, hypocritical heart, you're looking for the praise that God should be getting from the people. That's why you're wearing the robes. That's why now it's nothing wrong 
wrong with wearing robes when your heart is right, but you're looking for the acceptance of the people. You're looking for the worship of the people. That's what these hypocrites were doing. And because of that, they, they cleaned themselves up on the outside, but they weren't living 15 cent worth of anything on the inside. Jesus said here, you are, you are teachers. You should teach us of the word, but you need to be taught again yourselves. They were taking the scripture and wrapping it around the people's neck and, and judging them for not obeying the scriptures when they were stealing and lying and cheating. They were saying, thou shalt not steal, lie and cheat, but then they were stealing, lying and cheating. And they were using that to judge the people. So Jesus is coming against religious hypocrisy. And we've got that in the pulpit today. We've got a lot of men and a lot of women that are up in the pulpits and they're up there for one reason, to receive the honor and to receive the accolades and to receive the submission of men and women. That is only supposed to go to Jesus. And they've, they've wrapped themselves in these ecclesiastical robes. They've wrapped themselves up in all of this garb and all of this form and fashion and theatrics for the express purpose of them being honored and them being reverenced and them being looked up to. They're supposed to be acknowledging Jesus, not themselves. Jesus, not their ministries. Jesus, not their names. This is why the devil is operating in the church the way he can is because he's got leaders in the church who have submitted to the lies of the devil and the devil has given them the very lie that he spoke to Jesus. He said, all the kingdoms of the world will I give thee and the glory of them. If thou wilt bow down and worship me, I will give it to you because it's been delivered unto me. And so he's telling these men and women who are supposedly of God, if you would just obey me and do what I say do, you can live any kind of way, but I want to fix you up on the outside, make you appear religious, make you give you the right words, give you the religious jargon, give you the religious words and the religious religious actions and the religious rites and rituals, but you don't have to really live like that. Just get the glory to yourself and then honor me with it. And then you will be blessed. See, this is what people are getting. And this is what a lot of people are getting from pulpits today. This is why you can see the Christian community. So many churches have turned away from the word of God. Why? Because they've been given into doctrines of devils. They've been listening to Satan. They refuse to accurately study the word and rightly divide the word of truth. And because of that, they have turned themselves into hypocrites. They're professing one thing from their message, but they're living completely the opposite. They're preaching holiness. They're preaching redemption. But then as soon as they leave the convention, they're in the hotels. They're in homosexual relationships. They're in physical fornication. Come on and listen, adultery, wife and husband swapping. And they're doing all kinds of things. They're doing drugs. They're singing. They're hanging out with the, the world. They're hanging out with secular musicians. I'm trying to tell you something. This is hypocrisy and it's going forth in the church. And Jesus called them hypocrites three different times. And then he says something that is so powerful. And this is what I want you to understand. Notice what he says then in verse 32, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. In other words, you're going to get the exact measure that your fathers that killed the prophets. You're going to get the same measure. He said, you serpents, listen to what he calls them. You serpents, you snakes, you generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Hell is damnation. The word damnation is the word crisis. And it comes and it's the word crisis. And it means to judge and to separate. It means to divide. It means dissension and it's a decision. It's the turn of affairs of judgment. In other words, Jesus is going to separate people from other people. He's going to separate people from one state of life that they're living, and he's going to put them in another state. And then he's going to judge them and sentence them and punishment with the tempora, the temporal punishment of his vindictiveness, his judgment. I'm telling you, Jesus is going to bring tremendous judgment 
dependent on every human. See, I want you to see something now. Everybody's talking about God's a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. All you got to do is go back through the Bible and see how many times people were killed. Remember Jesus sent an angel to kill 180,000 Assyrians in one night as they were coming against Israel. I'm trying to get you to understand when the people made the molten calf, somebody listened to what I'm saying and they refused to accept the fact that Moses was coming back. And so they made a molten calf and had an orgy and began to worship them. And when Moses came back down and he threw the tablets of stone down and they broke, then God caused the earth to open up and swallowed up many of those Israelites who had been giving themselves over to idolatry. God has always moved in judgment. God has always brought judgment and he is a God of judgment. He is not just a God of mercy. He's not just a God of grace. He is also a God of judgment. You need to understand that. And that judgment even falls after Jesus's death, burial and resurrection. You remember how Jesus had died. He was buried and resurrected. And then he had sent his disciples to the upper room in Jerusalem to wait for the power of God to come upon them. The power of God came upon them and they received the revelation. They received the anointing of God. They received the blessing of God, the benefit of God, the power of God, the righteousness, the might of God. And when they did that, listen to what the word of God says. Now, listen to how the word is speaking and how the word is ministering to us. Jesus, watch this now as come on somebody and listen to what the word of God was saying. And so what happened was Ananias and Sapphira came to the church and they had given offerings when they lied to the apostle saying that they had served, sold the, their properties for so much money when they didn't, they brought a spirit of lie. Ananias came first. And therefore Peter said, because Satan has filled your heart to lie, not unto men, but you have lied unto God. And he dropped dead. There was judgment there in the church uh, a few hours later, his wife comes in being privy to what her husband had done. And she said they, the same lie. And then Peter said, the men that have called your husband out shall now haul you out and she dropped dead there was judgment after jesus's resurrection i want you to understand that god moves in judgment he moves in supernatural power he moves in supernatural revelation and he will minister his judgment to anybody that refuses to obey him or anybody that tries to attack his church or anybody that tries to poison his church you know what the bible said a little leaven leavens the whole lump but i want you to understand something I want you to know something right now. The power of God is inevitable. It is coming powerfully. It is coming magnificently. It is coming supernaturally. You will understand that God will move in judgment. That's what Jesus is coming back to do. I want you to hear this now because this is so powerful. Watch this now. Now let's take a look at Matthew chapter five, verse 29 and 30, and listen to what Jesus says here. See, Jesus wants you to understand hell is so powerful and hell is so supernaturally uh, uh, filled with the vengeance and the vindictive judgment of God that he doesn't want people to go there. Now watch this now, because this is very interesting. I want you to see this. Let's go to the book of Matthew chapter five, verses 29 and 30. And Jesus says here, as he's talking, he says, if thy right eye, I offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, that that one of thy members should perish. You see that it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish. He said again, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. You hear that? He said it would be better for you to pluck out your eye or cut off your hand if that eye is causing you to offend God or if your hand is causing you to offend God he said it would be better for you to pluck it out or cut it off so that it would not 
cause you to walk away from God and then all of you would be cast into hell. I want you to understand hell is that place of judgment. That word hell is the word Guyana and it means the place and the state of the lost and the condemned. It is the final place of punishment. It is conceived of as a fire, an unquenchable fire. Jesus is saying to him, he's saying to you, he's saying to me, he's saying to all of us that hell, come on somebody, is a place of punishment. And he said it would be better if you would just cut your eye out or cut your hand off and so that they wouldn't cause you to walk away from God. Now, I want to show you this in the Amplified Bible, and I want you to see exactly what Jesus is saying to them here so that you can see it in the Amplified. Now, look at what he says here in the Amplified Bible. If your right eye makes you stumble and leads you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of the temptation. I want you to understand that. Remove yourself from the source of the temptation, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble and leads you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. See what Jesus is saying? He's saying it is better for you to lose a part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, in order for Jesus to say something like that, hell must be something powerful. Hell must be something so uh, so judgmental and so vindictive uh, that Jesus would tell people. Now, I want you to understand something here. When he talks about in verse 29, let's look at verse 29 again. He says, uh, if your right eye makes you stumble and leads you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is remove yourself from the source of temptation. Now, he actually is actually saying to us, you know, uh, remove yourself from the source of temptation. If it's something that you're seeing and you keep looking at and it's causing you to sin, he's saying you're going to have to judge yourself and you're going to have to remove yourself from it. Now, he wants you to remove yourself from it and stop looking at the thing that your eyes are looking at and then judge your eyes and break the power of that sin over your eyes so that your eyes will stop looking at the things that you're supposed to be, you're not supposed to be looking at, or your hands will stop touching and getting involved in things that your hands are not supposed to be getting involved in. And so you use your authority to stop your hands and stop your eyes from uh, being tempted into sin. But then he says, but if you can't even do that, if you can't do that, then it'll be better for you to just pluck the eye out and cut the hand off. Now the hand ain't going to be able to do that anymore. Maybe you'll follow me and maybe you can keep your whole body and soul and spirit from getting cast into hell. But he's really trying to get you to understand. He's trying to get you to see whatever the source is of the sin that's causing you to go against God. He's telling you to cut that source off. We know that the source of sin is the devil. We know that sin comes from our sin nature. And so Jesus is actually saying, cut off the spiritual source that is causing your physical eyes to, to look at something that it doesn't need to look at. Cut off the spiritual source that's causing your physical hands to go and get involved in things that it shouldn't get involved with. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to say, I'm here to share with you right now by the power of the Holy Ghost, by the power of the word of God, that Jesus wants you to exercise authority over every area of temptation in your life. And if you don't do that, it's going to cause you to go physically and spiritually into hell. That's what the word of the Lord is saying. And I'm trying to get you to understand this is why Jesus is giving us this, this doctrine of hell series to let you see hell is real and it is powerful. And Jesus is saying everything that he can to keep us from it. Now, let's go to the book of Matthew. And let's take a look at verse 10, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Matthew 10 and 28. And in Matthew chapter 10 and 
10 and 28, notice what he says. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Do you see that? Jesus says, don't fear those that can kill your body. In other words, even though those that have the ability to be able to kill your body, don't you dare obey them. Don't go with them. Don't run with them because they're not able to kill your soul. In other words, what he's talking about, he's not, they may be able to kill your body, but they can't, they can't kill your soul. They can't make you die and go to hell. They can't make you die and go to hell. But he says, rather fear him, which is able to destroy both your soul and your body in hell. God is saying, listen, stop fearing man and stop fearing what men say they will do to you. And you better start rather fearing God because God is able to both destroy your soul and your body in hell. The word destroy there is very interesting because he said, uh, fear him. That's God talking about God. It's the word apolumi. And it means, come on somebody, because it means something. It means it comes from uh, the preposition apo, meaning from, and then it comes from alumi, meaning to destroy. In other words, it means to separate a person from another person and then uh, destroy them. Oh, come on, somebody. It means for them to be perishing. It means to be destroyed or to perish. And in essence, this is what the word of the Lord is saying. It is talking about, watch this now, changing. See, it, when he talks about destroying something, he's not causing something to become extinct. He's changing the state from one state to another. In other words, where you are not burning in hell, now you are burning in hell. Where you are not burning in hell, now for eternity you are burning in hell. That's your spirit and your soul and your body, all of you, your soul, your body, and your spirit will be cast into hell. And that's what you will be destroyed by. I want you to understand something uh, as we share with this and as we close this today, that Jesus wants you to understand and he wants you to know that hell is real. Next week, we're going to be talking about where is hell because hell is a literal place and we're going to share with you where it is. But I want you to understand he's making these statements to us. He's teaching us. He's training us. He's guiding us. He's, he's showing us where hell is and why and, and, and what hell can do. What is the purpose of hell? And so we need, we see now that hell is a place of punishment and it is a place for eternity. And I pray that the word of God has touched you. I pray that the word of God has ministered something to you so that you will understand that Jesus has made a way that you never have to go to hell. Jesus has made a way that you can live with him forever in eternity if you obey him and accept his sacrifice for your sin. But he also says, if you refuse and reject his sacrifice for your sin, then you will be cast spirit, soul, and body into hell well, you'll burn in that eternal fire and in the punishment of God. But you don't have to go there. Jesus has made a way. God said in his word, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish uh -huh, in hell, but have everlasting life, live with God for eternity in the kingdom of righteousness. Praise God. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You need to understand something. Jesus has given us power over the devil so that the devil, whatever he tries to inflict upon us, we have the authority and the ability to rebuke it and to stop it and not submit to it. But the devil is coming with hypocrisy. He's coming with deception and he's coming with lies. He's coming with religious hypocrisy. He's coming with uh, social hypocrisy. He's coming with physical hypocrisy. And in every area of life, he's coming to deceive. But we have been delivered from the powers of darkness. We've been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Walk in the revelation of God. Walk in the power of the authority of God so that you can negate every attack and every sin that comes against you so that you will always be able to live a victorious life. Yes, many are the afflictions of the righteous 
curses, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. There's not an affliction that God won't deliver you from when you're being obedient to him. Keep walking in the revelation of God. Keep walking in his word. Keep walking in his authority because God loves you and he wants you to be blessed. Until next Thursday, we will walk in the revelation of God's word and overcome evil with good in Jesus name. Praise God. See you then.